Hey, hey, hey! Here's an all new edition of Talking Foosball Extra, the Yaustick edition. It's been two weeks, but it feels like two years because a lot of crazy stuff has happened since we last spoke about the Bundesliga 2 and the lower leagues in Germany. My name is Nick Wiltung and I'll try to guide you through all the crazy that's been going on in Hamburg, Bielefeld and Munich, just to name a few of those places we'll be hitting during the next 45 minutes or so. Joining me to help me make sense of the avalanche of different big stories that have gone down since we spoke last are two very special people. To my left, I have uh, our refereeing expert, Ground Popper Supreme, and now suffering some Pauli fan, Mike Krickemeyer. So, Mike, how are you doing today? Are you still recovering from that trip to Rostock? I'm still suffering a lot. Yes. Hello, Nick. Right, we'll get to that shortly. And to my right, there's uh, our tactics expert and Bundesliga 2 insider, Jasmine Baba. So, Jasmine, how are things on your end? Are slightly better than Mike, I hope? Yeah, I would say so. Quite a tiring weekend for me too. I think anyone who watched Dortmund Werder Bremen on the weekend is still flatlined from that. You know, I still am. All right, we'll be diving into all the laces from the Bundesliga 2 in just a jiff. Welcome to the first part of our show. And Mike, since last weekend truly must have been very painful for you, as you just let us know, let's just rip the bandit off and, you know, get it over with. So, once again, you were gallivanting around Germany, visiting far-off places that uh, many people of us wouldn't visit. This time around, you went to Rostock. So, can you tell me a little bit about that trip and what happened on it? Sure. Yeah, well, once again, I made the trip to Rostock. That's the first thing I need to mention and it's always challenging there as an away fan and in particular as a St. Pauli fan of course. So there were huge discussions up front already. The German rail did not manage or probably did not want to offer additional trains for the more or less 2,000 away supporters for the 150 kilometer ride and some people feared that the police would stop the one and only train that was available and that would made it in time even before departure in Hamburg. In the end, the trip to and back from Rostock main station went more or less fine, but there were so many discussions before the game already. And um, yeah, it was fascinating. I went to Rostock by bus, um, also to the main station. And as this is the only allowed parking space for private cars and for buses for away supporters, you need to get there. You are not allowed to drive to the stadium. And from the main station, there is a shuttle service. Well, normally you would say they offer a shuttle service, but in fact, they demand you to get into the buses. Of course, with some delays, many people in buses with closed doors, no open windows, no air conditions, still in a pandemic, and the buses are not moving for several minutes. But well, you get used to that as an away fan, and it's sorry to say that, but it's, uh, or sad to say, but it's business as usual. Well, I mean, last season we talked about that San Pauli away trip to Hansa Rostock, which went, uh, well, quite sour in the end. Can you remind people of what happened and uh, maybe tell us if there have been any improvements made by Hansa Rostock since that last trip? 
They did, at least. Uh, you can say that. So last year, or it was in April this year, so last season, uh, Hansa supporters were able to throw things, including firework, into the guest area outside of the stands, so where the catering uh, and the toilets are located. And they were able to do that from further down below, and the police and the stewards did not react. So for this season, the club installed a net uh, outside of that area so this should prevent that from happening so the net should keep away the firework or whatever and also the supporters were not able to reach that space uh, further down below so probably this was secured by some guards so in the end at least no things were thrown at us during halftime Fantastic. Isn't that nice? Truly makes you feel more welcome, I suppose. But I'm talking about feeling welcome. Now, this is a derby kind of game. Some journalists would have it. Uh, Timo Schulz, the St. Pauli coach, said, no, it's not a derby. The derby is against HSV, which I would agree with. But the reason why some people you sort of sort of label it as a derby is because the two sets of fans really hate each other. There's really no better word for it. So I suppose there must have been quite a lot going on on the stands during this match. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's also business as usual. So all Hansa Rostock cliches were fulfilled. Transphobic, homophobic statements, a banner which praised Lichtenhagen. And for those of you who are not aware of this, this is the, well, pretty unfamous district in Rostock where one of the worst racist incidents in Germany passed after the Second World War happened exactly 30 years ago. So this banner itself is not a problem. It's the banner of the district and of some people who regularly go to uh, Hansa but to show it directly next to the away section where it was never shown before and exactly 30 years after what happened in Lichtenhagen you can only say that they knew what they were doing and that it was meant as provocation and to don't play the racist incidents that happened in 1992 and well this was one incident there were also the banners i mentioned before they also had a, a motto shirt for this day on the front page it says i don't know something like forever hansa rostock or something like this and on the back print there was a, a destroyed banner of the fc st pauli and once an asshole always an asshole yeah well as you say from their perspective it's a derby and they you see us as enemy number one well we prefer the hsv to be enemy number one but yeah for sure they come in second <laughs> well those of us who don't know German history all that well what what happened in lichtenhagen in 1992 um yeah well it, it, it was two years after the german reunion um and there were a lot of racist incidents in especially the eastern part of germany in that time and yeah this was the definitely the low light there was uh, one very famous building in lichtenhagen which is the sonnenblumenhaus so sunflower house because it has very very huge sunflower I think it's a painting on outside of the walls. And there were people from, I think, Vietnam, but I'm not sure. So people from Asia in there, uh, refugees and um, or, or people from that countries who lived in East Germany in that time. And yeah, there were there were Nazis 
coming along that house in, in huge crowds and it ended up with throwing Molotov cocktails into the house, into the windows and really, really huge crowds of people standing outside uh, shouting foreigners out of Germany and so on. So it, it was really, really shocking, disgusting and one of the worst racist incidents ever that, that happened in Germany after World War II. So you cannot blame people for living in Lichtenhagen now. And if they are from that area and if they want to make that banner, okay, their choice. But to present this banner exactly 30 years after those incidents, showing it to the away section. Yeah, yeah, they, they do it on purpose. Yeah, it doesn't strike me as a coincidence. Right, uh, turning to the match, Hansa Rostock won that 2-0. Your former striker, John Verhoek, who knew, right? Who knew he could score such a goal? He never did at St. Pauli. Well, so that leaves St. Pauli on seven points after five matches. So, you know, if we take a little broader look at the season so far, how, how would you describe St. Pauli's start to the season? First of all, I need to say some words about Big John. I really like him. John Verhoek, he always gave his best when he was with us. I would not say I love him, but I really, really like him. And yeah, he scored this fantastic goal and he celebrated in front of the Rostock fans. There were some discussions also in the St. Pauli fan scene after that, especially on social media, but I cannot blame him for that. So he plays for Rostock now for several years. He had a really difficult time there and at the moment, he's their top striker and to score in such a game, such a wonderful goal. Well, yeah, you should celebrate it. So I, I hate the people who have been to a club for half a year on loan. And after that, they don't celebrate goals against that, that team. This is such a bullshit. So he should celebrate and that's okay. Coming back to St. Pauli, yeah, well, it's even worse that our players did not react on the atmosphere in Rostock and let us down. If we would have won, we would be in top spot with 10 points. And now we just have seven points after five games and Paderborn on the horizon. So it could get even worse. Let's wait and see what happens in the remaining days of the transfer window. We still do need a striker. And also there are rumors that other clubs are interested in Pacarada and Medic. So we will definitely know more in a week from now when transfer day is gone. There was an article from my friend Tim today in our blog and he said, well, maybe we just need to get used to play around in the midfield of the table this season and start a new approach next season. Because at the moment, it does not seem that we are a candidate for the top places. Well, turning to a club that always considers itself to be a candidate for the top places, no matter what divisions they play in, HSV. Now, the other Hamburg side, they are also in a bit of a spot of bother right about now. HSV have lost two of their home matches so far this season. Last weekend, they lost 2-1 against Darmstadt in a match that saw three red cards, two of them being handed out to HSV players. CEO Jonas Bolt complained an awful lot after that second red card, and he was sent to the stands as well. So, turning to what is going on on the pitch, Jasmine, what's not working right now for Hamburg? I don't think they should be at their chaos crisis stations just at the moment. They're only three points off the top of the table, which isn't bad. It's not 
cause for concern um but i think a lot of the issues at hamburg we're seeing are similar to the ones that we saw last season they get held up in possession quite a bit and then they can't work the ball as easily in their opposition's half so they end up a lot of this half and half chances and when they do get a good chance in front of goal they tend to miss because they don't have the most clinical forward players like for instance Glatzel is prone to missing quite a few close chances in front of goal and if you look take that in to all the forward players so strikers and wingers he's only 21st out of 47 in conversion so he takes a lot of shots but he doesn't convert as many as anyone else he does still take quite a few of them and if you bunch up all the ones that take more than 10 shots and have this season he's only ninth out of i think 19 so it goes a bit higher but as the main driving force of hamburg and their main striker he doesn't do enough for them so for example a fair game against hans rostock's a really good one for an example because out of the 17 chances that they had they only had two on goal so those are the kind of problems that we're seeing. But they also had stronger, more defiant performances like they did against Heidenheim where they won 1-0. It's inconsistency and one indicator of this inconsistency is that they have one of the youngest sides of the whole league. So they're the fourth youngest squad, which outside of the 25-29 peak age, when you're evaluating teams based on their squad, you kind of dock a few points for the younger the squad or the older the squad. And on that note, St. Pauli has the youngest of the league too, so that's why you could be seeing some inconsistencies from them as well. So yeah, they seem to also be quite rattled by teams that take quite a direct stance against them, so counter-press, counter-attack, sorry, and pressing. And Tim Valter doesn't set his teams up to have the strongest press either. So if they're lacking in energy or intensity, especially that we saw against Darmstadt in the first half where they got absolutely overrun, it ends up in the way that it did. But the most worrying thing is the reaction. The manner of which Apoku was sent off, kicking Fabi Holland in the ribs, the reaction after Königsdorfer red card, which I think was a little harsh. And while there's nothing but drama going on at board in an executive level at the moment, that doesn't usually cause so many problems at team level because most of the players don't know. But having it cause Jonas Bolt to lose his call and run onto the pitch in the manner that he did, I'm trying not to laugh, but it was very funny. It doesn't set a good example I praised Tim Valter last season at how he kept his squad quite happy despite them being inconsistent and them not losing their heads in the promotion run last year. So let's see if he can do it again because that's really important at the moment. It is. And, you know, knowing HSV, yes, they shouldn't be at panic station right about now, but knowing that club, uh, one or two more losses and they will be. You mentioned there being a lot of drama behind the scenes. So that drama is surrounding two men. One of them is named Thomas Wüstefeld and the other one is Sugar Daddy, Klaus Michael Kühne. So, Mike, can you tell me what is going on with these two gentlemen? 
Yeah, well, I'm still waiting for the Netflix version. It should be published soon, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> and you could publish a new episode every single day. So <laughs> to, to cut a long story short, <laughs> Wüstefeld... have it in real time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wüstefeld is in trouble due to his company being accused of fraud by two other medical companies. Oh, you he, hate when that happens. Yeah, well, <laughs> bad luck. <laughs> He also bought some shares of HSV from Kühne, but he is now suing Kühne or his company because he says that he was not aware of all the details at the moment when he paid for his shares. Oh, so, no. Yeah. And he's now one of the board members. So, well, congratulations. So a guy who's on the board and is in charge of doing the best he can for the club is saying, hang on, I don't want to own this club. I wasn't aware of how shit the club was actually positioned in terms of its finances. Yeah, well, I would put it the other way around. He still wants to own it, but he wants to get back some of the money because he was not aware that the club is as shit as it is. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So so he does still want to... Well, okay. Yeah. Apart from that, he has other great ideas. So last week at the press, you were able to read that he wants to install a new well, approach a new way of living in the club. And one of the suggestions was to get more international and speak German only two days a week and the other three days you speak English. Great idea. Fantastic. How about Fantastic. Esperanto? <laughs> yeah, we always only call him Desert Field from now on, but coming <laughs> oh, back that was so to the discussion... <laughs> I'm sorry. Coming back to Klaus Michael Kühne, who is only called Klaumiku from our side, he wants to pump in another 100 million euros. Oh, good news then. They could use them. Um, but that would come at the cost of more board seats for him and his guys, more influence, and a higher number of shares of HSV. And the club members. They already stated in one of the last annual meetings that they don't want that under any circumstances. So uh, there is a rule in German football, the 50 plus one rule. They even have decreased that number of shares that uh, they are able to sell. So no chance to do that. They would need to do an additional annual meeting to change that. I don't see that happening. And still, they need to renovate their stadium for about 25 million euros uh, due to the European Championship in two years. And they don't know where they should get that money from because the 23 million that they got from the city to do it, they were already spent last year. So it never gets boring. I'm still waiting for season one of the Netflix version. HSV until I die. Well, I mean, to be fair to HSV, um, the 23 million euros was probably supposed to cover a little more than it eventually did because the prices of different building materials have actually gone up dramatically over the last couple of years. I'm so sorry for them. Well, yes, you know, schadenfreude, it, it never gets old. But um, So, I mean, you can have, if, if you're not a Verdo or San Paolo fan, you can have some, some sympathy for them, you know, because that situation was entirely out of their hand. Anyways, talking about... Something completely different. This young Bundesliga 2 season has seen its first victim in the shape of Uli Forte. After three losses in a row, the officials at Die Alm had enough 
or four losses in a row was, and sent their coach packing and hopefully back onto Twitter and maybe even porn up. Who knows? But how can we explain Aminia's poor start to the season, first of all, Jasmine? Um, loads of things. I learned it in the full taste style and how they were playing in preseason, but we mentioned on the pod after last season that Bielefeld were leaving it very late to hire someone. Was it how many days before their preseason started that they hired them? And we talked about club planning. It wasn't, what, five days before preseason started? Something ridiculous like that. Um, and especially considering how far back. They fired Frank Kramer. And when they did announce Forte, well, a big part of the Swiss league from which he came from is seen as the level as the Spider Bundesliga, but he hadn't managed there since a month in the 2018-19 season. So he had been out of the same kind of experience for quite some time, so it was quite an odd fit. And even when he was in the Swiss second level, more recently, he had been fired after not being able to get his club at the time, which I think was Grasshoppers back up to the Swiss Super League. So it didn't exactly scream, this will work, especially after Bielefeld lost quite a few players too after their relegation. Well, Forte has been replaced by Daniel Schanning, who arrives from, uh, well, somewhat local rivals, Farfell uh, Osnabrück. If you don't know about local rivalries around Bielefeld and that area, I'd, I'd advise you to watch a movie called Derby Dreieck, uh, which explains the rivalries between Preußen Münster, Vfl Osnabrück and Arminia Bielefeld. But that is just a side note. So, But Jasmine, let's, let's continue our discussion about coaches at Bielefeld. Now, what do we know about Herr Schanning? How is he going to change that side and what type of coach is he? Well, he's a Bielefeld man that started out off as a scout there around a decade ago, moved up various youth level assistant coach and head coach positions there between 2012 and 2017 before joining to be an assistant coach at Paderborn, mainly under Stefan Baumgart, before going on to become um, head coach at Osnabrück at the start of last season when they were relegated into the Dritte Liga. He did not get them back up and they came fifth. Seems pretty average, but he didn't start this season well before being hired for Bielefeld. And I get why they have, why Arabi has gone with someone with a Bielefeld background. I'm guessing Ulo Falter was so much of a big unknown change and it didn't work that they've gone, well, we better get someone who knows Bielefeld but I think it's still a risk to get someone with only a year's senior head coaching when it's in a position Armenia Bielefeld are in right now especially when Osnabrück were probably looking for a young manager to take them back up or I'm not sure of Osnabrück's uh, how they felt about him but yeah I think from Arabi's point of view it seems quite a risk but he's, I think he's run out of options. And if this doesn't go well, I think we could see Arabi gone too. Well, we've been saying that about him, and yet he sticks around. <laughs> he lives another day. Uh, talking about Osnabrück and their start to that Ritterliga campaign under Scherning, they have so far managed to accumulate five points in the first five matches. 
the first match without him on the bench, the, the guy who replaced himself, as, as his name is Tim Danneberg. That was a 1-1 draw against Wiesbaden. Anyways, one transfer has been made since Scherning has arrived through the door, and that is uh, former Schalke goalie. Martin Freisel signing for the club. Now, one of the high-profile players that left Bielefeld after last season was uh, Daniel Ortega, who's now playing for Manchester City, uh, you know, being paid a lot of blood money. So was the goalkeeping position really the biggest problem so far during the Bundesliga 2 campaign? I'm not sure about that, but um, I think they needed to do something because their keeper, Capino, was injured last weekend uh, the rumors of getting Freisel started around the weekend so I think it is somehow related to that mm. and to be honest I don't think that without the injury of Capino they would have done something because well you are a better fan you need to know it better than I do but I was really a big fan of Capino I saw him once or twice in test games against St. Pauli and I think he can definitely play in at least the second league Although he made a mistake on the weekend, I think there was one goal which is the Heidenheim goal for yeah. which he was to yeah for which he was to blame. But in the end, I still like him a lot. And um, yeah, well, if there are more important positions, maybe that's for Jasmine to judge. Jasmine, I have not really looked at their team. I know who they've lost, but I've not really looked into who they've brought in. Um, I think Stefan Ortega was quite a big loss for them, though, just in general, because he was a good goalkeeper. Also a strong, strong personality. Yeah. And I think right now it's getting the coach right, because even if you have a similar level of players and maybe not ones that stick out too far, as long as they can all play a similar type of football, getting them to be organized and just those simple basics are the most important thing and that usually relies on the coach so i yeah it, as long as they've got people to play right now that's all that matters right we are really really <laughs> running long in this segment once again but we are now reaching the end of part one and well many of you may think at this point even though we've been droning on for quite a bit Hang on, hang on, you glossed over a few storylines that were really worth mentioning. And, you know, every now and then it has happened in the past that people have contacted us and maybe complained even a little about this or that particular team not getting a mention on the show. And I thought to myself, well, maybe we could remedy that situation by installing a new segment called Quick Fire Storylines, where each one of us maybe pick one or two storylines and we... You know, quickly explain what that storyline is about and dispense with it within the space of one or two minutes. So here goes, Jasmine, you're up first. What storyline would you like to dive into first? Paderborn 172 over Kiel. They've scored 18 goals. They're top of the league. Felix Platt is in his peak years and is top goal scorers with six goals. Jusvan Obermeyer, Conte, all helping hand with assists in their games. They're a joint top with... S van Darmstadt with 12 points, 4 wins and 1 loss. And let's just see who ends up first for Herbmeister because that will be the thorn in their side. Well, there you go. Well, uh, my, you know, big mouth prediction at the start of the season was that Hannover 96 would finish third. 
And well, um, for me, uh, since we spoke last, uh, a big storyline has been that Hanover have actually managed to turn this season around somewhat. They've won twice. 1-0 against Ringsburg, 4-0 against Magdeburg, which may tell you that you can be maybe slightly more optimistic about Stefan Leitl's project. Having said that, I do still think that they are maybe a little bit shaky at the back and there are still some kinks to work out. And I'm I'm not really sure about that pressing system that Lytle has installed because I think it can be really easily surpassed by diagonal balls, which, you know, Paderborn did ever so well when they faced off against Hanover. Anyways, uh, Mike, any storylines you want to dive into? Yeah, I heard that uh, some people are already guessing the next trainer that will be fired. Um, maybe I, I just start with a statistic because we did a questionnaire before the season and 272 people replied to that. And only seven said that Bielefeld would go first with sacking their trainer. So congratulations to those seven. And now the people are discussing if Fürth will be the next club. And I, I need to disappoint you. I don't think so. I, I really trust in HSV. So if they do lose the next two matches, then I will directly drive Tim Walter to the main station or to the airport. He can choose that. And to be honest, Fürth... They should have never lost the game against Kaiserslautern. They need to leave at halftime with three or four or five or even more goals. And I'm sure they will find their way back. Jasmine, Kaiserslautern, quickly. Ten points after five matches. How come? No one is ready for Dirkshus for football, which is intensive and gets in your face, doesn't allow you to play football. The tell is if they can keep it up with the oldest squad in the league. I think they do at Regensburg of last season or this season because they're doing it now as well <laughs> well there you go anyways this is it for part one of the show we'll be back in just a moment Uh, Nick Voltagen here, and alongside with me there's uh, Jasmine Barber and Mike Strickmeyer, and uh, in this part of the show we're going to give you all the best storylines from the lower divisions. So let's start with MSV Duisburg. The Zebras, they've had a tough start to the season in the Dritte Liga, but that changed somewhat when they won 3-0 against SV Mappen the other day. Um... Usually, we don't talk about such a match on the show, but this time around, we are forced to do so. And the man doing that to us, uh, bless him, is MSV goalie Vincent Müller. So, what did he do on the weekend, uh, Jasmine? He scored. Fantastic. Yeah, we always love a goalkeeper scoring. And it wasn't a oh, last-minute goalkeeper runs up for a goal type but quite fantastically, it was a goal from his own half, around 90 yards. Now, I'm sorry for people who do pitches by meters, but I don't know meters for football pitches. 70 meters. There we go. 70. Seven is what the whole, no, not the whole pitch, is it? Welcome to Metric to Imperial Conversion Podcast. I have no idea. So tell me, what do you weigh in stones? <laughs> Nobody in Germany or... I actually do. when you will get that. No, no one would. We use a mix in the UK, which is very annoying. But anyway, it was just outside his penalty area, but turned the left from a free kick. 
So it goes all the way, bounces in the opposition's penalty area, around two metres in front of Meppen's goalkeeper, Kexen. Then it bounces and it just kind of in a weird physics way just floats over him just into the net, making it 2-0. They also got a third in that match from uh, Murat Stoppelkamp, who has three goals and three assists in five games already. So no slowing down from the 35-year-old either from them. That and that puts them, their 3-0 win over Mepin puts them into fifth place and one point off the teams going for the playoff and two points off second place. It's quite an interesting top of the table right now but as any German lower league fan knows that can be turned around very quickly. Yeah, it's, it's quite a fluid situation down there in the Dritte Liga usually. And, uh, you know, talking about the top of the table. Well, last week we spoke a little bit about all the hot air, Luftpumpe, you know, <laughs> the air pump of uh, TSR 1860 Munich. Well, the fans may be at the odds with the leadership at the club, but they are probably very happy about what's going on on the pitch because... TSV uh, have started with five wins on a bounce, putting them solidly in first place on 15 points. So why has their start to the season been that good? You know, you would imagine that they would still be missing Sasha Mulders, but it appears not. It looks like they've just moved on. I, I think they needed a bit more fresh blood. That game against Dresden was exhilarating. It really put a shine on the Dritte Liga. And... Yeah, fans of loving Athens Exig right now. Does, you know, having them seen so far, uh, does does that make them favourites to gain promotion at the end of the season? Or is it still too early to, to call? Because, you know, as we said, it's it's quite a fluid situation there. Yeah, and you have seen that in the last couple of years. So don't make any predictions in third league. And especially not before game day 30 or something like that. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, anyways, that five games in a row win streak is actually a record for the Dritte Liga. Uh, let's see if they can expand on that. Uh, there's, um, I think there's also another record. I might be wrong, but Saarbrücken haven't conceded a goal yet in five games. That's the one I'm looking at now because that's crazy. I've never heard of a team. Well, I have heard of a team do it, but like at the highest level. I've never seen it in lower league football. Yes, but, you know, Sarbrink's main problem has been actually goal production as they've only scored four uh, in five matches. <laughs> but, but, I know that's not a good thing, but they've won three of their games and only drawn the other two. It's not like the five, like um, Nuremberg did last season in the Spiderliga when they were unbeaten, but most of them were draws. So, yeah, really interesting to watch that one. Yep. Anyways, uh, 1860, they're up on uh, against Victoria Köln on the road this weekend. Maybe an interesting one to follow if you've got some time. Uh, and, you know, you don't mind watching uh, something else than Bundesliga, Bundesliga 2 for once. Um, what we do know about 1860, and, uh, you know, we're changing topics ever so slightly now, is is the fact that they are dependent on their Jordanian investor, Hassan Ismig. And a lot of things at, you know, the Lions clubhouses have depended on Ismeg's mood over the last few years. So, for instance, the club was relegated from the Bundesliga 2. They could have applied for a license in the Dritte Liga, which would have required Ismeg to put up some funds. But he said, you know what? I don't want to. Because, you know, 50 plus 1 is unfair to me. 
And that meant that they were relegated to the Regionalliga instead of the Dritte Liga. Well, someone who has seen clubs being funded by investors in very close proximity is goalkeeper René Vollert. Uh, he's played for KFC Erdingen, who at the time were financed by Mikhail Pomerorov. After that broke down, he moved on to Toguchi München, a club which depended heavily on sugar daddy Hashan Kiva. Now, Vollert has spoken about his experiences playing for these two clubs in a recent kicker interview. Can any of you tell me what he actually talked about there? So he basically said everything that goes on behind the scenes. It's sort of as you would expect it and how much uncertainty comes with playing for those types of investor clubs and a lot of shady business that goes on behind the scenes that everything seems really good when you first join, you're the new guy, you get paid regularly on and on time, but as you become one of the older players and there's new favourites coming in, they're the ones that get paid regularly and you don't, and that's illegal. That is very illegal to not be paid regularly, not to be paid on time, to create divisions within the team with people getting paid on time and people who aren't. And that is just mind-blowing that that was allowed to happen. I can't even imagine playing for two clubs with investors sort of in that way. And um, yeah, I don't think anyone is surprised by that news, but it's just... And I also don't think anything will be done even after this interview, even though he has confirmed what we know kind of goes on. But yeah, it's still eye-opening to say the least for someone who's played for out for the clubs to say, this actually goes on, this is how it affects our lives. Well, uh, you say nothing is probably going to change, and um, yes, you're probably right about that, but that really isn't in the interest of the Dritte Liga and the DFB, though, if you would think about it for more than just a second. Because what has happened over the last few years is that the Dritte Liga seems to foster a culture that invites these very, very dodgy investors through the door. So, Mike, if there was anything to change, what should it be? Yeah, I think the, the issue is that it won't change. And the last couple of years have proven that it won't change. This league is a financial disaster for every team who tries to get promoted. And the only thing that could change this on the long term is that you totally change the way of TV money spent in German football. And you need to start in the first two leagues and you need to expand it to the third league. And if you do it, maybe you can change something, but man, maybe then these dodgy characters start in the fourth division and you just, I don't know, skip it to, to the next one. It's a bit of a whack-a-mole game. So, yeah. you know, when, whenever, whenever you beat it down somewhere, they pop up somewhere else. Yeah, these kind of people, they try to get into the big business and they need to start somewhere. And with a little investment and little means some millions, of course, you might manage to get to the third division. But then to get into the second division, it really needs a good concept. It needs really, really competent people. It's not that easy to do. And, and you cannot just 
pump in some money and then automatically get promoted. You see it in a different way in the second league where the HSV does the same and they don't get promoted to first division. So it is difficult to do. And to change that culture, I don't see that happening in the next couple of years. And the DFB is, is not able to do that. So it would need a whole approach from DFB and DFL and a whole revolution when it comes to TV money. Well, 100 minus one rule might help. Anyways, you mentioned dodgy characters in further down the divisions, Mike. And, uh, well, last week you mentioned the cup match between Teutonia Ottensen and RB Leipzig. Now, we sort of glanced over that uh, rather quickly last time around. So tell our listeners a little bit more about Teutonia and uh, their ongoing project. And what are they trying to accomplish right about now? And, you know, what has happened since their Russian sugar daddies look oil? left the building last spring to, you know, rather familiar reasons. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, they seem to have signed all players from FC St. Pauli's second team. At least this was my feeling and also from some under-19 players. So, well, could be a good plan um, as they don't have that match money anymore. On long term, they still try to go to the third league, but I really doubt that they can make it. And even if they do... They have no stadium to play in. They are just guests at the moment at the Hohe Luft Stadium of Victoria. Their own ground, the Kreuzkirche, is not even, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if they, I think it's something around 200 or 300 people which would fit in there. So um, no way to, to play there at any time in the Regionalliga even. And at the moment in the Regionalliga, Four points out of four games also does not look very successful. And their only home game up to now this season was against Hildesheim and they had 327 visitors. So there is no basis at all for Teutonia to play in the third league. I think if one club in Hamburg can do it in a very far away future, it would be Altona 93. No other club has the, the, the basis for the, the fan base for, for playing higher than Regionalliga. And yeah, in the end, I, I think they, they will go down in, in the way that many clubs did before. Right. Well, Jasmine, any updates on the upcoming DFB Pokal match? Yeah. So we mentioned on the last podcast that they couldn't play their DFB Pokal match against RB Leipzig and no one around them wanted to lend them their stadium because RB Leipzig is involved. So that includes the likes of St. Pauli and um, Haasfell. And there's a rule under most circumstances that you can't switch the home advantage of a DFB Pokal match. So that's why many clubs can't switch around if they don't have the home stadium to host the match. So instead, the solution was to play at the Paul-Greifsu Stadion in Dessau, which was near Leipzig and, and was probably going to be more of a home advantage for Leipzig anyway. But it was announced on Monday that the pitch was under investigation, that someone contaminated it or the grass was just dead so it would have been unsafe to play on it so because of that the DFP have allowed the clubs to swap the home advantage so after all of this it will be held at 
the Red Bull arena after all. <laughs> well, I mean, this has happened in, in the past before. I mean, before we go on and say, oh, Leipzig, you're always getting it like that one from the DFB. I seem to remember that Werder Bremen played their first round against Atlas Delmenhorst at the Weserstadion. But that was due to Atlas Delmenhorst asking them to host the match on their behalf which meant that all the proceeds from the tickets were actually going to Atlas Delmenhorst, not Werder Bremen. And you need to add Delmenhorst is more or less a suburb of Bremen, so yes. that's also totally okay. And this is a total different situation in this case. Yeah, fair enough. Anyways, I, I don't think we have time for anything more on this matter because we're running all out of time. It's been really a jam-packed show. So this is it for another edition of uh, Talking Foosball Extra, the Aufstieg edition. Aiden Rantoul has produced this episode, as always, with the utmost of care. Make sure to follow our pod on Twitter, where you can find us at Talking Foosball. Give our pod a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever else you listen to your podcast, if you have some free times on your hand, because it does help us to reach new listeners. And if you're yearning for even more Bundesliga-related content, make sure to sign up to our Patreon page, where we currently are featuring a historic matchday series. Guys... Always a blast having you alongside with me chatting about the Bundesliga 2 and the lower divisions. So before I let you go, tell our new listeners where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work, starting with you, Mike. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Kru, and you better follow the Milan tone. Jasmine? Yep, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Jasmine Barber, where I do loads of different things, so it's best just to catch me there. Yes, loads of different things. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Normusings. You can also find me on the latest edition of the Yellow Wall Pod talking about that crazy BVB Werder Bremen match. Next up on this feed is Talking Foosball Direct with Mr. Matt Herman. I'll be coming at you with another edition of Talking Foosball Extra next week. Until then, it is goodbye for now. 